Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. My name is Chris Reed, and I am the host of this podcast and also the director of biblical education here at the Tree. And we are continuing in our study of the book of Hebrews. Today, we're picking up at the back half of, of chapter 10, and we've got a great conversation in store for you. I'm really excited for you to hear it, so stay tuned after this ad. If you are in high school and you are looking for a leadership or ministry training experience, SCU at the Tree is the place for you. Through our partnership with Southeastern University, you are able to pursue a number of associates or bachelor's degrees while getting hands-on experience in the Tree Church practicum program. We have an informational meeting on December 18th at 11 a.m. where you could win an SEU at the Tree crew neck. Visit our app to register. Welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. Today I am joined by Pastor Phil Venrick. How are we doing today, Good, Phil? Good, Chris. Glad to be here. Glad, glad to have you back again. And Pastor Matthew Johnson. How are we doing today, Matthew? I'm great, and I always love being with both of you. You're my two favorite people in the whole wide world. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> now, before the podcast, I, I was making fun of Phil, and, and he was of me, just as everyone clear. And so I just wanted to start on the right tone. I love Phil Vinrick, and I love Chris <laughs> with all my heart. <laughs> The smirk says it all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? My smirk must be more obvious than I think it is because oh, I was so last night with my mom, and uh, she was pointing out my smirk, not only in conversations, but in photos. She goes, oh. like, I'll see a photo. She goes, I know in the photo you're, like, smirking because of what you're thinking. And you've said that to me before, too. You're like, I must smirk in a way it feels like, stop making fun of me in your head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as always, we'll get started with a couple questions, and uh, we've got some fun ones today. So we'll see uh, we'll see some some personalities come out. So uh, start, Phil. Let's start with you. Were you a, a rebellious child growing up? You know, I was not at all. I was not at all. Uh, probably not. So when until, did you learn? Yeah, when did it start? Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> probably really college age is when I really I, I was. I always wanted to. Uh, to, I was a, the peacemaker in our home, uh, so I always wanted things peaceful and, and, and fixed if things were wrong, and so um, that was just kind of my personality growing up. I, I, I wanted to do what I was told and what I was asked and, and please people, so um, then when I hit college, I got a little crazy and, and got out on my own and, and, and kind of found <clears throat> more, more to me than what I thought there was, and, uh, but, but I wasn't rebellious at all. Uh, I wasn't, this oddly enough, I was not in my home. Like I wasn't to my parents and my mom listens to this. She might write in and say like, that's not true. <laughs> She's calling uh, right now, calling it, the church. Right. But in general, I don't, I don't remember <laughs> even having an attitude of rebellion. Like I was not breaking rules with my parents and things like that. In school I was, um, I, I had an, uh, I didn't, I didn't see it then this way, but I do now. I had an arrogant posture in that as a, a youth, if I saw inconsistencies in leadership and in, in authority, that I thought was unfair, like I'd be the person that would push back. So I got, I actually got suspended from school quite a few times for disrespect uh, of teachers. And, um, and so, which is funny whenever I tell that to my kids. That's not just, a thing now. Oh, no, it's not a thing now. It should be. It, yeah, it should have been then. I mean, yeah. I, it, it was good. But uh, when I tell my kids I get suspended or got suspended, they were just like, what? Because they're all rule followers <laughs> for the most part. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I was rebellious in school and stuff. And then, but I, I'm not, I think once I, got out of high school I wasn't I'm not I, I, I would think I'm fairly submissive to authority so now were you the paddling age in school or was that already gone when, when no I got paddled um, I actually got paddled one time in school when I was in fifth grade I think and this is a kicker of all things I got paddled for fake fighting so we were <laughs> me and my friend were joking around. my best friend we were joking around and acting like we were fighting and uh, my other friend who always got me in trouble Tommy uh, was just chanting, fight, fight, fight. So all these kids came in joking around. We were literally fake fight. Like we weren't like, it wasn't even that physical. And a teacher heard it, came in and took us to the office. And me and my friend were like, we promise you we were not fighting. <laughs> oh, and we still got paddled for it. <laughs> That's rough. And, yeah. And we got paddled with a uh, cricket paddle. Oh, like oh. the sport cricket. Yeah, it had like yeah, fancy yeah. designs. It was like a wood one. Mm. And uh, I just remember the, the principal who, or vice principal uh, said like, all right, look at the wall. And he had a painting on the wall. And I remember looking at it and I didn't know what it was. And I literally remember turning my head, trying to figure out what it was. And then I got swatted. Like oh. I, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> uh, whack. I was like, oh, oh. but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's never a good thing when the paddle is, is shaped or if it's like engraved, engraved, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> painted, like right. if it's got a design on it, you know, you're in trouble. That guy, yeah. that guy's good at it. Did you guys have paddling? I mean, you had to. Have, we did. Yeah. We did. did you guys yeah, have running water and electricity? 
Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, paddling. I remember people getting paddled like almost on a daily basis. Yeah, like that's like, it was a just thing. a regular thing. So yeah, that's you the... knew if someone was in trouble, they were they were getting paddled. Can you imagine now if someone hit your kid? Oh no! And, and in our school, <laughs> oh. it was the the football coach. It was the gym teacher that did yeah. all the paddling. So no matter who you were that in trouble right. with, they would take you to they would take you to the gym, and you would get paddled by the gym. Think about coach. that. Like, and he was a big dude. You don't even know the kid. The kid just walks yeah. in, and you're like, all right, Whack. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I was not until I got to high school. Uh, high school was kind of my rebellious. Which is funny because you are the least rebellious person I know. <clears throat> yeah, I both though. He was like, there was no rebellion at all. Like, he thinks he was super rebellious. Yeah, right. and he was well, like... I, I, so, okay. Well, so let me explain this. Like, I, I was not going out and I was not like trashing things and I wasn't drinking and smoke. Well, yes, I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, not, that's not true. I just, yeah. But you, that wasn't even like, you weren't breaking rules, right? That was known. Uh, or was no, I was breaking. Okay. Yeah, I was breaking rules. Um, so yeah, I started smoking when I was fourteen, and I mean, you weren't supposed to smoke while you're okay. on the golf team, but <laughs> it's a great time to do it. Um, so, and I I pierced my own ear when I was fourteen. Um, wow. Yeah, my dad was like, I asked my dad, "Can I get my ears pierced?" He said, "No," and so I went and did it myself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and then I proceeded to take it out and put it back in every time I was around him. So yeah. like I took it out L like you can't see the glowing red <laughs> ear that, that's sore because you're not right. supposed to put it in and take it out whatnot. But so, um, yeah, I said when I hit teenage years, I like it was never like I was never like I wasn't going out to do something illegal. I wasn't doing you know what I mean? Like right. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. Like for me, it was just like I wanted to be what I wanted to be and I wanted to sure. do what I wanted to do. So, um, so like, I never really had like a, like, like a tear things down kind of rebellious spirit, but like I, I was always challenging and always questioning and, and still struggle with like a love, a level of skepticism and like cynicism, like yeah. even to today. But Chris, but, your, re your rebellion is a normal day. For most <laughs> probably, people. Yeah. That's what I was referring yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, probably. So like, it's probably not to, to, to some degrees, but so what is a trait you value most in other people? Trustworthy is the number one for me, I think. Um, yeah, if I, if I don't trust you, I, I just have a super, super hard time being in a relationship with you. Um, and when I say trust, there's just so many levels of that. Trust of um, like um, you, that you're going to be a person of your word. Uh, mm -hmm. Trust that I, like you're not going to talk bad about me when I'm not around. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to be honest with me. So all those things. Yeah. But to me, that's probably the number one thing. Yeah. Um, loyalty for me, <clears throat> I think, uh, I grew up, I think more an era where loyalty mattered and mm -hmm. <clears throat> even in the way that we lived. Um, so like I grew up in when there wasn't a lot of choices. So if you were loyal to a store, you were loyal to a store, even if they made a mistake, you would go back, you were loyal. Um, and, and so I think that, uh, for me, I, I want to know that, that I want to be, loyal and i want somebody to be loyal to me and know that we're all human and we make mistakes and we're going to do things wrong but yet the core of our relationship is i love you i know you're a good person i know you you value our friendship right and, and i'm going to be loyal to you in that sense yeah i think mine is patience um like i i strive to be a patient person because i think i value it so much in other people like seeing seeing other people be patient with other people like and and then I, I don't know why like that's just has always been an important part and i think i, I would a close second would be loyalty and trust mm -hmm. like and and so like having someone be loyal to you is is important to me so um has reading a book ever changed your life i'm assuming we're saying besides the bible besides the bible yeah <laughs> yeah well, there were my answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's been a couple books. Um, when, and we say change your life, you know, obviously it's a... Just made a, a strong impact. Yeah, yeah. it's a dramatic word. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's two books. One was Grace, um, Grace by Andy Stanley. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I read it, it was just, that's a, that's a principle that I love being reminded of. Uh, the second one is, uh, and this one was interesting. I l so loved this book and then I gave it out to a bunch of people and I don't think anyone else had the same response as me, which is always a funny dynamic. But Gentle and Lowly um, was a book that every single page impacted me in a profound way, so dramatically, like I couldn't put it down. And then it that's what was funny. Like I think I bought it for all the staff. And like I think everyone else was like, nah, okay. <laughs> so, no, I thought it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phil? 
uh, for me, I was, I was thinking about this earlier when I was reading the question, because um, it's like, what's well, changed your life? And then I really thought, uh, actually, the blessed life, uh, when I read that, uh, was just at a point in my time where I was just beginning to understand what yeah. tithe really meant, <clears throat> what generosity really meant. And so it was a book mm -hmm. where I read it. I'm like, okay, I, I want this. I want to live this way. Yeah. And so it actually changed my behavior, you know, similar to, to when we read the Bible. It was something I went, I, I want to pursue that, so. That book was is so good. It's one of my absolute favorites. His follow-up to it might be better. Um, yes, I And agree. if you read his his follow-up, which came like 20 years later, what's but if you the, read what's that, the title of that? Um, I don't know, Beyond Blessed? I Beyond it's Blessed. Called, it's got yeah. Blessed yeah. in it, but yeah. Uh, but that one, if you actually are going to read them, read that one first and then the other one. Because I think he even acknowledges <laughs> that that in the the first book he's talking about tithing and first fruits and that that principle and it's it's so good it's so profound like it's it's an incredible book but he made the assumption that everyone was basically um disciplined in their finances right. and he realized they weren't and so he's like he was giving them a principle that was not working for some because they weren't disciplined in finances so his second book is kind of a better intro to that but yeah that's robert morris i was gonna yeah. say that yeah i was gonna give the author for that but um uh, for me uh two books that as I say them, one is going to be a highly unpopular book, but the other one will probably be even more so. But um, <laughs> uh, the one book that really altered my life was uh, Desiring God by John Piper. Mm -hmm. So um, whether you... Super quick read. Yeah, super quick read. <laughs> it's like this thick. <laughs> it's a great book. But yeah. It is a very good book. And I just remember, I actually, I, I listened to it on audio tape. And so like, I remember walking... On tape? Uh, okay. I had an iPhone, <laughs> so it was MP3. But... Um, I would walk back and forth from work to home when I lived in town. And so like I listened to that book like every day on, mm. on my walk to and from work. And um, I just remember theology coming to life in a new way yeah. in that book. I remember my understanding of who God was and like his desire for my life um, came, came to life in a new way. And so that was a profound book. Another one, and this is the one that I would say is probably less popular at this table because I, I've heard you say you don't like it. But Wild at Heart, Circle, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> that's Phil's favorite book that we don't like. Um, we don't that like. We don't like. <laughs> Wild at Heart, and and yeah. so like I I realize there there's some there's some things that are are good about it, and there's some things that are bad about it. But yeah. like the part that that I really liked is it really helped shape an understanding of responsibility as a as a as a man in my in my life. So it was, it, it hit me at a time where like I needed to learn how to be a good husband and a good father and, and kind of what my role was in, in all of that. So, um, that was it, it whether you like it or not, like whether it's your favorite book or not, like it yeah. was a, it, it made an impact that way. So sure. Yeah, I understand. So cool. All right. Well, let's jump into, let's jump into our t today's verses. Um, I always like to do just a little recap before we get there. Uh, we are on the back half of chapter 10, and we are we just finished the section that um, where we were talking about how Christ had come to be the fullest measure of the sacrificial system, how his death was once and for all, and how it is what really uh, it clears the guilt of our lives. It is what shapes our hearts and our minds, and it turn and, and for those who trust in him, God is changing and shaping us and making us more like him. So that's kind of the context of what we're walking into. And now the writer of Hebrews is going to get to a place where he is going to remind his audience and he's going to call his audience to stay faithful in light of all that they're facing to that truth, that, that Christ is sufficient and that Christ is changing them and that Christ um, will be their salvation. So that's where we're picking up here in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, with, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So one of the first things that really stands out to me here is this idea of, of us staying faithful, of, of, the, of the believers staying faithful, not based on their own energy, their own strength, but really on the promised 
the promise of God, the, the promise that, that God will be faithful. Mm-hmm. How does God's faithfulness encourage our faithfulness? I'll just throw that out there. Drop it right there. <laughs> well, I, you know, one of the things like in, in any relationship, when the other person is consistent and in that consistency kind, that really creates a safe dynamic for a relationship. Um, I, I think anyone that's ever been in a relationship that is inconsistent, where a person can be one person one day, one person another day, good and bad, it, you will just naturally be guarded. You'll naturally be self-protective and distant. And and it's just one of the most damaging realities of a relationship. So you think about it, like I, I know like in the many years of uh, pastoral ministry and, and meeting with couples, the, the spouse that can just one day be toxic and the ne- next day apologize and be loving and then toxic and then loving. Like that inconsistency just is so damaging. When we look at God and his faithfulness, his faithfulness is a consistent faithfulness to love, to grace, to generosity, um, all of those things that is, I mean, it's backed by the perfect God mm-hmm. who has all power, all love. And, and when you know that, it just creates a safe environment, a secure environment to consistently try to get into his presence so that you can be transformed and to be changed. The, the more you become confident in his faithfulness, I think uh, the logical response is to just go deeper and deeper in faith, to surrender more of yourself and, and to have more <coughs> faith in him. And, uh, and so that's one of the wonderful things about it. I mean, the whole, this whole book, and especially this section, is talking about all that God did so that we could go into his presence. And when you just, again, when you think about that, that he did it so that we imperfect beings could be mm-hmm. purified and made holy in his presence. That's a beautiful invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that's just an incredible gift because he's made the way. And so because he's made the way we should in confidence utilize that. And that's why it, even in the language, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, like that's just such a, that statement apart from what, I mean, apart from God makes no sense, Absolutely. right? Like that we would have confidence to enter a holy place. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't no, I'm done. I'm done. I was just going to say, like, thinking about that, <coughs> that confidence comes in a practical sense. Like, God challenges us a lot of times to do things that are difficult, that are beyond our abilities, mm-hmm. and calls us to, like, into those places where we really do have to depend on the fact and be confident in the fact that God is going to come through, like you said, right. and be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I think you both said it great. Just knowing that, that, whatever I do and whatever I'm going into, he's going to be there. He's going to, he's going to help me through it. He's going to walk me through it. And and I can go to his word and find the things that I need to correct either what I've done or just having that confidence is incredible. Right. Yeah. And we talked about this last, I think it was last time. I, I'm not sure if I'm on every week for Bible studies. So I might be referencing two Bible studies ago, but when we were talking about the whole concept of, of the Holy of Holies in, in the sense of the tabernacle and temple, um, I don't know this as a fact, but I, I would imagine there was some trepidation within the high priest sure. stepping into that presence because you know it legitimately is a life and death moment mm-hmm. that if you do something that breaks God's law, you don't go follow his process, he can be you can be struck down because some of the high priests in the past in scriptures had been struck down or just people who shouldn't have been there right. went into the presence and were struck down. So like there's that trepidation. And so like when this says, no, we should have confidence to enter into the holy place, it is such a different perspective that we don't have to be afraid, right? You know what I mean? Like we mm-hmm. we are invited in because we have been, a, a way to be purified has been made because of what Jesus did. And that, again, that is just such a beautiful invitation to to go deeper with God, to get into his presence because he wants us there because he knows that's what changes us. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't it transform? Doesn't it transform it from being something that like this is something you can— it's, it's a rule that you have to follow that you need to do this to being like, it allows you to come to the place where you learn that, oh, okay, God wants best for me. Right. Like God, God wants good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the sad part, I think, of what happens sometimes in religion is when mm-hmm. you take something, there's only one true religion, it's Christianity. I mean, I'll just, I'll just say it bluntly. Um, but when you take Christianity that's so beautiful and pure and you turn it into religious practices, you just miss the value. You right. miss the heart of God. And and that's what I, I think we do a good job as a church, is just reminding people this is about relationship. This is mm-hmm. about a God who is not giving you a list of rules to follow as in some checklist so you can earn your way into my presence. Like 
that doesn't make any sense. It's a God who's literally saying, I want relationship. I want to better your life. I want to transform you, sanctify you, to use the, the biblical term, to, to set you apart, to make you holy. God wants to do that, but you have to be willing to, to take advantage of that. And so it, it is something like we, we can't look at reading our Bibles. We can't look at worship. We can't look at prayer as like this obligation. Right. We have to look at it as an opportunity. Yeah. I love that. What you just said is the whole basis for who I am as a children's pastor of knowing that I came from from this, seeing God as this huge, scary father figure that was a scary father figure, that was a mean father figure to, with the checklist, to realizing that he was the ultimate perfect father. Right. And so now yeah. I, I want to be able to teach kids at a young age, you don't need to fear him, you need to run to him and love yep. him, and he loves you back. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. So, so, Thinking about God's faithfulness is one way to continue to be steadfast, to remain faithful. He goes on and he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, Um, not neglecting to meet together. So he's focusing on this idea of of that we we are not going to remain faithful. We're not going to stay. We're not going to be able to fulfill this calling unless we rely on not just the promise of God, but also rely on each other. Mm-hmm. Why, or let me ask this way, what significance is there in meeting together and being a faithful believer? We are not designed to be individuals. Um, you see that from the beginning of the creation <clears throat> story. Um, even, even, I don't want to go too far into this, but even in, in our understanding of the Godhead, is this beautiful relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. You know, and again, we don't fully understand the dynamic, and but yet relationship is modeled, and we're made in His image. But from the very beginning, beginning of creation, God created Adam in in full knowledge, knowing His creation wasn't done. But He allowed Adam to experience life for a season, to be very clear that it's not good for him to be alone, and so He creates yeah. for him a helper. So from the very beginning, God knew the ideal is relationships for mm-hmm. us. And so even in, in faith, when, when you look at the early church, how God inspires Paul to write about it is a body, that, that individuals come together as a body. We, we know this in like a super practical term. There's not a single part of your body that can thrive and live apart from the entirety of the body. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, I don't want to be too graphic, but if you were to cut off a finger, we all know that finger doesn't survive. It right. doesn't, it, it's not functional anymore. And in, that was the image that God chose to use to say, no, you're actually designed to be in relationships. And I think our culture is very aggressively working to create individualism with people from individual, like as a consumer, I have my own wants and desires. I become the center of the world. But also like we, I've talked a lot about this in, in podcasts and different things with the creation of a smartphone. Mm-hmm. We have an individualization of individuals that like that has never happened in the history of the world because on my device, I have my content, my, my apps, my preferences. So like even the algorithms of my news is telling me the stories that I want to read. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and so it just creates complete individuals. And then we start to look at life through like, what can make me happy as an individual? And that is not how you're designed. It's not how God wants it. So his heart is get into relationships because in relationships, there's everything you need. So yesterday you and I were part of a meeting where we're planning out a series mm-hmm. for, for next year that we're going to kick the year off. This is what we're focusing on. Right. What does it mean to be the body versus not being the body? Um, because like when we come together in relationships, and we know this because we have a very close pastoral team, we have a very close staff, is we know when we come together, we get what we need while giving what they need. Right. So like we, we can joke and love yeah. each other and, and, and even physical, hug each other and kind words and, and support and to be a listening ear. Like we all know this. I could not do my ministry without you two and, and all the staff. And I know you guys couldn't do yours. Like exactly. to do it, I mean, COVID proved that to some degree, the the stress of being isolated during that mm-hmm. time. So sorry that I'm, I'm babbling so long, but it's no, like, fine. this is the idea of, that God wants is like, when you are in relationships, you're a mirror to each other. So you're challenging them to be more like Christ. You're encouraging, you're supporting, like all of those things are there that you cannot receive in isolation. And so his heart is like, stir each other up, which I love because our culture stirs each other up in drama. And he's <laughs> like, don't do that. Stir each other up in love and good works. Like that's what we should be motivating each other in. 
Phil, what are what are some practical ways that you have seen this play out in your life? Matthew shared a lot of great points on that. What are some practical ways, like what are what are places that you've needed, like that you've experienced the the, the blessing of being in that community as yeah, well? Absolutely, I think the the staff environment that Matthew mentioned is is an incredible uh, display of. What I love about our staff is we are so close, yet we are so diverse. Right. And, and, yeah. and I love that. We're, we're not all similar. We don't all have the same thought processes. We don't have the same likes and dislikes. And so that's part of what I believe his plan. Mm -hmm. Because what happens, Matthew said it so well, you, you get in this own world uh, now where culture tells you just select your truth, select the voices you want to hear, mm -hmm. select, and, and you think you're getting all, all this different input, but you're selecting exactly what you want right. to, to, to help you feel the best about yourself right. instead of being who God's creating you to be and, and learn to, to give and take in relationships. So for me, like I think of a connect group personally, like my connect group, I know there have been times where I have maybe thought through some of the things we're going to talk about it and, and um, just in just in a real, almost a sterile way. Like I, I have the answer for this, you know, right. I have the answer for this question and how God wants me to act. And then I get in and I start to listen to the heart of other people's problems and the heart of how they're dealing with it and what God's saying to them. And I, I see this huge bigger picture mm -hmm. to this scripture, to this question from the Bible that I'm going, there's so much more to that, that God's doing in this mm -hmm. than just what I thought. And I grow from that and I, and I start to uh, even change the way that I think in a, in a better way as, as God uses it to, to grow me in my faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think so many times, uh, I think the hindrance to, to why people, I, there's, there's a thousand <coughs> reasons, but one of the reasons that I think that hinders people is, is there is a semblance of life that they find, I think at times without it, Mm -hmm. in this specific context, I would say in a church context right. where they may find it in family or they find it in sports or they find right. it in, but again, the, the goal and the call of this is how do we stir each other up for, for continued faithfulness because things are going to, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more because there are going to be hard things that God is going to walk us into as a part right. of being faithful. And so the important, like the, there's a level of, of, of this is best, this is right. better that we have to shape our mind on. It's it's like eating healthy in my mind. Like yeah. eating healthy, like I can I can sustain life on cookies and and the things that I like to eat. Now I'll just stop there. Right. But <clears throat> better is healthy food. Yeah. Chicken. Like, yeah. And, you know and what and I'm saying? I, like, for me, to answer that question better, it is exactly what you said. For me and Connect Group, it is that stirring of have you thought about this? Have you prayed this way? Have you thought, well, you know, God said this in this scripture and it brings in that other voice of going, R remember, yeah. remember this, remember God's promise in your life. Remember. And so I love to see that when uh, people bring what I call just their real junk to the table. And then we all go, let, let's toss in what God has shown us about that. And then it turns mm -hmm. into something really cool. Yeah. yeah. Yesterday, Michael and I recorded uh, the latest episode of our podcast. I could be wrong. And we were talking about worldviews. And every single one of us has a worldview um, and it can be mm -hmm. shaped by so many different things. It can be shaped by just the experiences of life. It can be shaped by your family as you were raised and what they taught you. Um, it can be shaped oftentimes is by the country you live in, even the community from the state to the city to the block that you were raised on. But all of us have it, it uh, some type of worldview and religion and different things. And in our culture, um, when we look at worldviews, some of them are shaped by religion, but nowadays, more often than not, it's shaped by just some some other theory of how to live. And so, mm -hmm. like we, many people have a worldview based on consumerism, based on nationalism, based on many different things. But when it's based mm -hmm. on consumerism, when you when you're answering these major questions about like where did I come from? What's my identity? What's my mm -hmm. purpose? Uh, what's morality? Where where's my destination? Like where am I going to end up? When you have a worldview, so it's like the lens that you view the world, when you have a worldview that's based on consumerism, you can develop relationships that support that worldview. Right. And it can seem like it's enough. It can seem like it's supportive. Like I think of the celebrities who have an entourage. Yeah. They can feel like they have relationships, but it's supporting what they already want to do. It's supporting their worldview. If you have a biblical worldview, you recognize that one, you were created by God for the purpose of serving God. 
And that is how you'll find fulfillment. Morality is defined by God. And your destiny is one day you're going to face judgment before God and have to give an account for the life you lived. Mm -hmm. When you understand that and have a biblical worldview, you realize I need Christian community right. because I need to be challenged. For me, one of the, the greatest gifts that God has given me has been the position of lead pastor to lead a staff because it's changed how I, I view people and it's changed how I understand people. And like there have been times through success and failure of my leadership that I've really grown as a person that if I didn't have that, I would just be in my echo chamber and I would just keep thinking, oh, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And I'm realizing I'm not. Like I had a conversation yesterday with a staff member that was just talking about not understanding my personality. And I so appreciated the conversation because it just showed me once again a blind spot that I could have. Mm. And, and it's not that I'm happy, because I was, I was very sad that that was true, that they didn't understand my personality. But in the same moment, I'm optimistic because I can change something. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's so like when we look at this, the reason why so many people avoid it is it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. It yeah. can be frustrating. It can be sad. It can be like all those different emotions. But if you will cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that process, right. it will be life changing. And, and so many people want to run away from that because it, it is a mirror. And sometimes we don't want to look in the mirror. Right. One hundred percent. Well, let's continue on, and we're going to jump into verse 26 here. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a, f a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant? by which he has sanctified in his outrageous spirit of grace. For we now, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a, of a living God. Okay, so <laughs> this sounds a little intense. It sounds like he yeah. shifted gears here on, on something. Uh, and, and, and again, the writer of Hebrews offers warnings from time to time of, of the seriousness of which they're they're walking into the seriousness of ha of holding steadfast to faith that that there is judgment that there is the ability to disregard the things that God is saying and 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 I this likens and reminds me <clears throat> excuse me of Romans chapter 6 right where Paul is like do we continue to sin that grace that grace, that grace may abound <laughs> like and, and so yeah exactly and so it really does it this kind of thought process for me plays into this idea of 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 being diligent in in addressing our sin and right. and so I, I think at times people confuse the the struggle with sin with the idea of continuing <coughs> in sin. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe lay out like the difference between yeah. those two things? It, it is very <laughs> much um, it is a a genuine heart perspective. So what what I mean by that, if you know it's a sin and you are fighting to overcome the sin then that is just a simple struggle with sin. When you know it's a sin and you don't care it's a sin, you know it's a sin and you're not making any changes to, to go away from that sin, mm -hmm. you're tolerating it um, and even condoning it. Like it's a sin, it's not that big of a deal. That is not a, just a struggle. That is continuing in sin. That is re rejecting God. And those are two different things. Now that said, that is a fine line at times right. for people that that only God fully knows. Um, like I know in my life, there are there are sins that I have literally struggled with my entire life. Uh, I mean, my entire grown life. You know, mm -hmm. like um, whether it be gossip, um, whether it be anger or unforgiveness. Like those are things that it constantly comes back. Right? Like I have forgiven people. You guys ever have this? You've forgiven someone and then some reason it just brings it back and like sure, all of a sudden you're, you're, again. you're right there and you're going, like, okay, I gotta forgive him again. Like, so there are those moments, but that's not me going, like, uh I don't care, that's a sin. I'm just gonna keep doing it. You know, like that's completely different. So um yeah, what he's talking about here is just it's really a posture. And I would say like if you could visualize it this way, it's the person who comes in confidence to the throne of grace to receive grace, knowing I'm a sinner in need of, of salvation versus a person who just arrogantly goes like, oh, no, I don't need the throne of grace. Right. Right. Like, yeah. oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like those are two completely different perspectives and have two completely different ends <laughs> to, yeah. Their, yeah. to their existence. I was going to say, I've heard you say this before. Grace is given to us to 
<clears throat> excuse me. I don't know why every time I talk, I get a frog <laughs> in my throat. Grace is given to us to defeat sin or to overcome sin. Right. Grace is not given to us to continue in sin. Right. Yeah. It, it, grace is given to lead us out of sin, not to right. remain in sin. Yes, that you and said it's no, but that that is the concept. Is the person who <laughs> wants to stay in their sin and keeps coming back to God for grace? That's literally what Paul is addressing in Romans six that you quoted of where, where people ask like, "Oh, if grace is a good thing, then should we just keep on sinning so that we can get this grace?" And he goes, "By no means." Yeah. I mean, that's his response. Yeah. Like, no, that's not why we do it because we want to honor the sacrifice of Jesus. And understand that sacrifice was given to us mm-hmm. not so that we stay in sin because sin destroys us. Right. It, it'd be like a, a, a parent who your, your kid um, keeps hurting themselves and you take away something that's hurting them. Like if they had something sharp and they keep cutting themselves, and you take it away and you put it over there. You don't want them to go right back and take that and keep cutting themselves. That's how God is with sin. He doesn't want to give us grace so that the sin is removed so that we then go back to sin again. Like, right. it, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, Phil, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I think Matthew said it really good. For me, in my own life, I always try to keep the check of that with, with any sin that I have in my life, I want to care that it's wrong. And when I stop caring that it's wrong, I'm no longer struggling with it. Right. And, and yeah. so I always want to keep that check of, of I, I don't want to displease God. I want to do the things that will be best for my life. Mm-hmm. And so when I get to the point where I no longer care about being wrong, I go, okay, I'm in a scary territory with this because it's not it's not phasing me anymore. Right. So am I heading to, uh, I'm no longer struggling and now I'm continuing in this. So. Yeah. The other thing too, I, I think, I don't want to add a level of legalism, but I, I think it's just a, a fair observation. The person who says, uh, the person who's struggling, like wrestling and battling sin, but doesn't want to make the necessary changes to get out of sin, I would be very cautious with that person and say, yeah. I, I don't know that you really are struggling with it. I think you're trying to do it all on your own. You're trying to like, take the easy way. Cause there are some things like you need to make changes in your life. If you're hanging out with a group of people that are causing you to sin, you need to break those relationships. Right. right? And that's hard to do. <clears throat> um, if you're in a job that's causing you to sin, you might have to quit a job. If you uh, are, are looking at inappropriate things, you might have to get rid of Wi-Fi or, yeah. or a smartphone. You know, we I've yeah. given that advice numerous times throughout the year. Right. And people are like, Oh, I could never do that. It's like, no, you can't. Can. And that's why Jesus, in, in when he was teaching, said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it off your right foot. You know, he, His whole point was not teaching uh, physical self-mutilation. It was figurative to say it's going to be a sacrifice. Right. And his whole thing was like, it's better to enter into heaven maimed than it would be to be throw, full, thrown full body into, into judgment. And so like, there, there is a sacrifice that has to happen when you're trying to overcome sin. You have to be That's willing okay. to do that. Yeah. So bringing someone else in, bringing accountability, get counseling, like whatever it might be, if you are really wanting to overcome it, you have to take that step to do it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If you're tied up and you're struggling, you're, you're moving, you're moving towards freedom every time you struggle. And yeah. so when you stop doing that, you, you know, you're, you're going, you're in, so yeah. if you can't go, I, I need to take that step towards freedom, right. even to do something I don't want to do something that I think is hard. I can do that with God's help. It's going to be hard, but that is the struggle of going. I, I know that I can get free from this. Absolutely. And, and I think the assumption, it, the assumption of the writer of Hebrews here and the, the whole point is that there's something better on the other side For of sure. that struggle and that fight with sin. If you stay faithful to, to God, what what is the result? You get life, you get freedom, you get salvation, and and you get this this life that because I think at times you can't even hardly imagine like what life looks like outside of the brokenness right. that we experience. Yeah, I, I know there's been things in my life that I've struggled with that I'm like, man, I can't imagine what life I've I've struggled with this thing for so long. I don't even know what freedom looks like. So right. I think we get complacent. I think we get yeah. comfortable. And we start to love that more than we love mm-hmm. staying faithful and, and finding the freedom mm-hmm. that God offers us. Yeah, I had a conversation. I'm, I'm going to keep it vague just because I didn't ask permission to share it. So nothing I say, you'll be able to figure out who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, I had a friend of mine recently that just said that basically they were told when they were going through a difficult time that on the other side, it would be better. And they doubted that. They said, I, but people told me, like, in the end, if I cooperate, it'll be better. I just didn't think they were telling the truth. And now I see it. Yeah. Now I see the truth. And it is that is the reality of God, is you, you, you can't imagine life could be better, but it really can be. And yeah. sometimes to get to the better, 
is to walk through storms, to walk through difficulties. And, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is about to go to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a great segue into our next section here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do that too. But I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who, those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have had great endure. For you need, excuse me. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so you get this picture here of, of struggle, of, of what, what the faithful life actually looks like. It, it's not one of, of ease. It's not one of right. comfort necessarily. It's one of who partners or, or who stands with the afflicted. <laughs> And the imprisoned because of their faith. It's the one who experiences hardship, and they, they, they have to be generous because they're those in the community that, that have need. And and so there there is a level of suffering that, that is kind of part and parcel that, that goes with faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of talking about it in the realm of sin here right. with with the fight of sin, but our own sin is not always the cause right. of, of our struggles. And so what should a healthy perspective of struggle be like if we're living with the, the biblical perspective in mind? How should we view struggle? How should we view um, how should we view trials? And, and how do we handle that in light of a of a culture and a a world and in our own desires that that values comfort above everything else? Yeah, I, I immediately think of just uh, what Paul said, see it as joy, see these things as joy. And, and that takes, I remember hearing that scripture at a younger age when I didn't understand, I'm like, how can you see this horrific stuff that's happening to your life as joy? How can you see, you know, a broken relationship as joy? How can you see right. a, a tough marriage run as joy? Um, and so I remember th- thinking that. And then the more um, I pressed into my faith and I, I was obedient to what God would say, even when I didn't want to do the things that God would mm-hmm. say, and I would I would honestly just test it out and begin to, to grow my faith by going, I'm going to try this God stuff, and I'm going to try to do this the way God says. And the more I would see that, I would go, wow, this this stuff works. And then I would see, I would look back and I go, I learned so much in the process of that horrible thing. And, and, and at the end of it, what you were just saying, it was so hard to see that the end of something would be good, something bad could be good. Mm-hmm. And I would see, wow, there, there, I learned so much and it has grown me and even maybe changed the situation or, or, you know, gotten rid of something I needed to get out of my life. And I go, that is such a good thing for me that, I, that it has helped me develop that mindset of this is going to stink but I'm ready for it. I'm mm-hmm. ready to see what God is going to do on the other side of it. And so it makes it so much easier when those trials come. Um, it still hurts at times. It still sucks. You still have bad days, but I always can immediately go to, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this mm-hmm. yeah. because I know that he is. Yeah. And yeah. So Phil said it in a different way than me, but it's, it's the same truth is what he's talking about is we should view trials that there's purpose behind it. And that's the difference between a person of faith in relation with God and a person who's not mm-hmm. is there for the person who's not in relation with God, there's no promise of purpose in the pain in, in the sense that God has promised, like it says in Romans eight twenty eight that he's promised to work all things out for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. His promise is that he's working things toward good. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, I did a series. I've actually done it a couple of times, but it's called From Pain to Peace. But in it, there, there was a, a phrase that I would use. And I said, God never promised that life would be free from pain. But what he did promise is that in our pain, there would be purpose. And in our pain, he would be present. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the, the concepts that why our struggles are different is there's purpose in God's presence. And that's what Phil's talking about. It's Those are the things that, that secure our hearts that we know this is not just happenstance. This is not the world is out of control for the believer. Right. It is a loving God who's allowing something for a redemptive purpose. And, and sometimes it is to grow us. Sometimes it is for us to learn dependence on him. Sometimes it's for, to increase our faith. Um, and, and there's so many other things. And when mm-hmm. we cooperate with God, 
his promise is to always turn it, to use it as a whole toward the, mm -hmm. the concept of good, that he's working things through. Another concept that we can never lose sight of is all of the pain of this life is temporary. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the perspective that I think so many people fall short of is they, they just look at it through a very temporal perspective and lens and they think this is so bad, this is so devastating, because it really is. Like we're emotional beings mm -hmm. and we have loss, genuine loss. But when we take a step back and realize this isn't my eternal reality, what God offers of eternal life is not this physical life forever. Mm -hmm. It's a redeemed new, no sickness, no death, no stress, no pain, no tears, nothing negative for eternity. And so what happens now is temporary, and, and it's, it's God preparing us and shaping us and molding us so that we can have eternal life with him. Right. And, and that process, with if God were to remove all pain from the, the world right now, we would be unable to be sanctified the way that we need to be to experience eternal life. And a lot of people lose sight of that. God steps into a broken world to use broken things to bring redemption. So like even what it talks about, he, he chose the foolish things to shame the wise. He chose right. the weak things to show power. <coughs> God does what seems illogical to us, counterintuitive to us, it, but he does it for the ultimate redemption. And that's what we have faith in and security in. Yeah, and then just, he gives us his word. And he just keeps reminding us, come back to me, get behind me, stay behind sure. me, let me protect you. I think of the disciples in the, in the storm when they're freaking out on the boat. And he's like, what, why are you guys reacting like this? Mm -hmm. You have me with you. And he didn't, he, he didn't, he let the storm happen. He knew the storm was happening, you know? Right. And, and, and what he wanted their reaction was to be was get with me and look at me in the eye and go, I'm okay in this storm because of, I'm with my savior. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, thinking about it in my life, like I, I think about the times, like how many times suffering kind of jarred me. We talked about getting stuck in our sin. We talked about getting stuck, it, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be sin. There, there's been seasons in my life where I just get comfortable with where I am, but suffering creates discomfort, which then motivates to go to the places mm -hmm. where we need to go with God. Um, I mean, I started interning here because of that exact situation right. like i i was working a job where i was working nights and i was working weekends and i like as much as i loved the place that i worked like the situation mm -hmm. for work was was unbearable to the point where like i was like i, I was starting to, to to look for like like am, am i depressed like what's going right. on like this just this hurt and and i always knew in the back of my mind like i wanted to do ministry and I'm like, and I thought this was the the avenue. I had prepared sure. to do ministry, but I wasn't sure how to do ministry, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. It was, it was that season of of hardship. It was that season of depression. It was that season of suffering, that that motivated me to get me to take the step to approach you and say, hey, right. is there something we can do like where I can explore this? And 100. So yeah, that, that's such a good point, Chris, because like I, there are. The, so our response, you didn't ask this, but I'm going to answer it. Uh, <laughs> our response to suffering should be to seek God and to ask him why. Not in the sense of like God owes us. You know, I, I think right. of Job, you know, Job was like basically saying like, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. And like, I'm, not, I'm righteous. And God's like, all right, you asked me a bunch of questions. I'm going to answer them, but you're going to take it like a man. You know, like it's like the most <laughs> yeah. sobering passage. So God doesn't owe us an answer, but God wants to give us an answer when we have humble hearts in it. And sometimes suffering is because we have made really bad choices. Yeah. And so we should go to God and, and allow him to show us that and to repent, confess our sins for what they are, and turn from it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the response. But there are other times, like exactly what you said, God creates a holy discontent in our lives to move us. Mm -hmm. Like I, So you talked about moving from your job to interning. I was When I was in Detroit, I was in Detroit with the expectation of taking over my dad's church and living there until I died. I mm -hmm. had no other concept. My, me and my wife and all of our family was in Detroit area. I liked it. I was not, I was not discontent in any way. I, was, I loved the church, loved the youth ministry I was a part of, until it, things started going tough. And it was in that season, I didn't leave because it was tough, but it was in that season that it just like opened up my heart mm -hmm. with the sensitivity to say, God, is there something different? Mm -hmm. And and God showed me there was. And so like in our lives, I, I so like sometimes it's God, show me my sin. Sometimes it's God, just show me what you're doing. And right. I love what you said. God will allow that toughness to move you. For, he was yeah. allowing that toughness at that time in your life to move you mm -hmm. where he wanted you. For so sure. Powerful. And then sometimes the suffering is to prepare us. You mm -hmm. know, we'll, we'll talk about this in, in chapter 12, but he says, uh, endure hardship as discipline. And uh, that's the NIV version. I don't know what the ESV says, but that's basically the concept. Endure hardship as discipline. 
And what he's saying to you is like, when you have hard times in your life, whether it's the discipline of God as in a consequence or a discipline to prepare you. So it's more of the image of like an athletic coach who's like in the, in the preseason is doing conditioning with the team. You're running sprints, you're running sprints. It's not that you did something wrong. It's we're getting you ready for what's coming next. Right. It's that type of discipline where he says right. endure hardship as discipline. So God might be, it might be the consequence of your sin. It might be that God wants to move you. It might be that God is preparing you. So in that, just have a heart that says, God, show me. Mm-hmm. Show me which one it is. Show me what you want, how you want me to respond. And the person who does that grows. And the person who does that becomes more mature. So like Paul in, in chapter 5 of Romans, when, when he talks about this like rhythm, he's like suffering produces perseverance. Produ- perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. The, you talked about it earlier. You, you said it kind of in passing. But in a culture that puts such a premium on comfort, mm-hmm. most people, when they hit suffering, they work as quickly as they can to get away from suffering. Mm-hmm. I'll quit my job. You know, I'll, I'll quit this. I'll leave this church. I'll end this relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, like I even saw a video today. This is kind of random. I saw a video today of uh, his name's Tom Izzo. He's the coach of Michigan State basketball. Okay. And he was talking about the transfer portal, like where you can just now, if you're an athlete, you can just put your name in it and transfer within the year. He goes, here's my biggest fear about it is no one will ever learn failure. <laughs> that that if they don't start right away, these athletes are just checking out and they're going wow. to a new school. And I think that is reflective of our culture as a whole. It's like, right. oh, I don't like this job. Oh, I don't like this relationship. Oh, I don't like this church. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm just going to get out of it. And we don't learn. And what God wants us to do at times is to walk head on into the suffering. Yeah, right. Like you said, like it was Jesus who told them to get into the boat that led to the storm. Right. He wanted them to experience the storm, not to wound them or hurt them, so that they might see his power when he speaks to the storm and it stops, mm. and he speaks to the water and it stops. He wanted them to have that moment. And so many people, because they avoid suffering, don't get to see God speak to the storm. They don't mm-hmm. get to see God yeah, so be good. faithful. And I, we've all talked about this. We talk about it a ton as a staff. The, we would not have, if we were scripting our stories, we would have never scripted our stories the way they played out. And yet we look at how God shaped our stories to get all of us here on staff. And we go like, there was a lot of pain and frustration and failure and suffering and all these negative things that led to this beautiful thing. If we would not have cooperated in that process, what would we have missed out on? And I'm just afraid so many people miss out on that. And so that's what what I think the writer of Hebrews is saying, like, just embrace it, go into it full head. Something that you said reminded me of just in my own faith journey, like when everything changed for me with my faith is when I learned to stop saying, God, take this from me, please take this from me, right. God, please take this from me. And I changed it to, God, what do you want me to do? What is the reaction yes. you want me to have yeah. to what is happening? Yes. It changed yeah. everything in my life. And I tell people that all the time because it will change your perspective when you say, that's happening. You know it's happening. You're not surprised by it. How do you want me to react? Mm-hmm. Rather than get this away from me, take this from me, get you know. Right. Yeah. And I don't know that you can have the type of faith that the Bible lays out, the type of faith that the writer of Hebrews is trying to implore, if you don't embrace that that mindset with it. You know what I mean? For sure, because you don't mature in any way. If you run away from anything that causes yeah. discomfort, there is no maturity in that. Right. So you literally in any element of your life. So if you want to learn a work ethic. You have to learn to suffer first, right? Yeah, like you have yeah. to realize, okay, wait, I can do this and it didn't kill me. I remember the first day. So I, I had worked some like really easy jobs throughout high school, like filing papers and like simple stuff just for yeah. like low money when I was like younger. When I got my first job of doing construction landscaping, that first full day of work about killed me, right? <laughs> like even the hands of just blistered from using a shovel yeah. and d- yeah. different things. But once you once I did it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, I go, oh, it didn't kill me. And so the next year, when I went back to the same company, which my brothers had worked at too, I wasn't dreading it. It was like, no, it doesn't kill me. Same thing with exercise. Yeah. The first time you, oh, you go out and exercise, like it's the worst, right? Yeah. When, when you're out of shape. If you're out of shape and you go back into it. Yeah, today was the first time back to working out from being sick and it about killed me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. and you did awesome though. But like, but even that, like it about killed you, but you still did a phenomenal job, yeah. right? Like you knew like I can get through it. And so same thing with relationships. Like if you don't learn that like relationships have ups and downs. Yeah. And so yeah. so many people run. So like but you it, went back to it because you knew the benefits of it. Absolutely. Even you know right. It was gonna be tough getting back into it and feel like it's gonna kill you. You go back to it because yeah. you know the benefits of that. Yeah. And, and yeah. So, and so that's the the tension of it is if you if you are praying, remove this from me, instead of saying show me and teach me and train me, you might be asking God to remove something from you that he really needs you to go through in preparation. And so now you become jaded with God yeah. because God, you're not doing what I, I asked you to do. And God's going, I'm preparing you for something. I see the future. I see where I'm leading you. 
And, and that's, I mean, even like it with parenting, all of us have kids, like <laughs> how many times did we tell our kids yes and no to things that they just were like, this is so unfair. And you're like, I know you see it that way, but I know where I'm leading you. Yeah. I know the character I'm developing in yeah, you. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. And, and yeah, as you guys were talking, all I could think about was Jesus in the garden and in his exactly. perspective, he, he, he said, he, he asked, he said, God, can you take this from me? But it was always followed up with the, not my will, not my will, but yours, yours be done. done. Right. Like, like show me, show me what I need to do. Yeah. So, and, and he genuinely suffered in that moment. Yeah. It talks about him so overwhelmed by the moment that he, he, his sweat was blood. Like he, yeah. it was like, he had a physical like reaction to it. And, and that's the, that's the image of Jesus. We need to even think about he's modeling perfect life. Right. And he suffered through, he right. suffered through desires and temptations and, and just the struggle. I mean, he had genuinely had his close best friends turn on him. Yeah. yeah. Like we, I don't know, sometimes like as a kid, I don't know if you guys are this way, I kind of pictured Jesus like floating through life. Like I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand. And then when you start reading stuff and you start putting yourself in his shoes and you're going like, he's talking to his best friends and he goes like at dinner with him, he goes, by tomorrow morning, you're all going to scatter. You're like, you're all wow. going to abandon me. And we can think that Jesus was just like, uh, but when you see the garden and you realize, no, he wasn't floating over right. struggle. He was embracing and feeling it. And, and when he went and saw he raised Lazarus from the dead and he saw the emotion, the broken people, he cried. And when he looked over Jerusalem, he wept like Jesus was feeling the struggle, yeah. but going through it as a perfect example for us. That's the fruit of it is he went through and through that, who, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, endured the suffering because of the joy that was set before him. Same thing for us. I don't want to be as dramatic to say that we have the same calling of Jesus in the sense we're enduring the cross, but we have our versions of the cross. Right. The joy set before us is what God's plan is for our life. We can endure it if we, in faith, walk in obedience. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I don't want to paint the picture that it's wrong to, to say that I, I don't want to go through this and I don't want to, you know, I think sure. I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, because I still do that. I still like, why is this happening, God? But then my next question is always now show me, show yeah. me what the next step is. Show me what your heart is. Show me what you want my heart to be. And so, that, yeah. And that's the Psalms. I mean, that that's the Psalms 100 yeah. percent. It's it's it sucks. I don't want to experience this, but you're faithful and I trust mm -hmm. you and I'll I'll go wherever you want me to go. Mm -hmm. So. And if at any moment you want to break the teeth of the wicked, yeah. you know, like, I'm all on board with that, God. <laughs> yeah, the, the option's there, I'm just yeah. saying. But but if I got to suffer, I trust you. Right. So, so yeah, uh, guys, great stuff here. Any other closing thoughts, any, any last words you guys want to say before we close out today? I, I really love Phil Venrick. Uh, <laughs> you know, something we, when we were talking about just the gathering together, I, I did think of something and I do want to go back and say it now is I, I want to say to people who, who are not taking that opportunity to actually gather at church. It does matter. It does. It matters. And so I know it's so easy to get into the, the, the I can watch it on online. I can listen to a podcast. I can listen to a sermon. I can do these things, but there is something supernatural that God does with mm -hmm. us and the, all the things that we talked about today, how we can see the differences and how we can, we might have an opinion and then we hear somebody else's heartache and we go, that's not what God's doing. It's God's doing this. And mm -hmm. we learn and we grow from that. So, so take that seriously, take, take being at church seriously and, and know that God will use it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to speak real blunt because you brought it up. Um, staying at home out of convenience is not gathering. It's not being the mm -hmm. body. It was never intended to be simply a consumeristic response. It's not, it's not about taking, taking, taking. If you want to come and gather and be a part of the body of Christ, there is a, a portion that is giving, and that requires your physical presence. Now, I do realize there are still people who physically can't. That's mm -hmm. not who we're talking about. But the people who just go like, oh, yeah, it's easy to watch from home and go, okay. But just know this. You're not doing what God designed you to do, what he's called you to do. And, and, and what makes me sad about that. that is you're missing. You're so missing. Much. Yeah. So much. It's not. It's not that you're not doing it as much for me as you're missing. Okay, so you're missing stuff, but much. so is the church. Yes, we yeah. need yes. your presence. And this isn't out of some like we're failing. And so come on, people, we need you. It's your presence brings life to other people. Yes, there are people that yes. connect to your personality. They love seeing your face. They love connecting, and and the church just misses that when you're not here. One hundred percent. And again, all because it's 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 important. It matters. It's vital. Because the goal and call of your life is to remain faithful to Jesus, Absolutely. not to not to just get some something that you're adding into your life, 
but to be faithful follower, disciple of Jesus. That is the goal of every person who would put their faith in Christ. Amen. So, so good. Well, thank you so much for listening. We are really excited that you're joining us and so thankful that you take the time to listen and grow in your faith and grow in your understanding of the Word of God. Uh, continue to listen, and if you find these beneficial, share them with your friend so that um, so that they can grow as well. So thank you again for, li- for, for joining us today, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next week as we go through the Hall of Faith.